This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. In the book of Acts, we are introduced to a man whose name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He's a man that persecuted Christians. But later, this man was known as the Apostle Paul. And he made a statement in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, where he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. What a marvelous statement. Today we want to think about that marvelous, amazing grace of God. I want us to think about the sufficiency of the grace of God. Hello, I'm Billy Lambert, and I want to welcome you to Getting to Know Your Bible today. And we want you to stay tuned as we talk about this most important subject in the Word of God. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we are continuing to make available a free Bible correspondence course. We do this because we want you to get to know your Bible better. We want you to know more about God's Word. In order that you might know more about the course and how you might receive the course, we're going to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. And in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul explained to the church there that there was a time that he had a thorn in the flesh. And it would be useless and a waste of our energy and time to try to figure out what that thorn was. All kinds of speculations. But I know this, that it was a painful experience for Paul. Whatever the thorn was, it was painful. In the original language, the word that is translated in English, thorn, means a pointed stake. So it's something that Paul went to God in prayer about. Three times Paul asked God to remove that thorn. But here was God's answer to Paul when he asked in prayer for God to help him with that thorn. God wrote to him in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, these words, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength, that's God's strength. 
is perfected or made manifest in your time of weakness. That is, God shows how strong He is, how mighty He is, how powerful He is, when in our moments of weakness, He strengthens us by His grace. What do we mean when we use the word grace? All of my life, I suppose this is the one definition that I've heard more than any other. That that grace is God's unmerited favor. That, that it's favor that God bestows upon us that we didn't earn, that we did not deserve. And, and I think that's a true assessment. Another definition uh, that I've heard of grace is that grace is God giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. I think that equally is true. And, and someone has defined grace like this, that God's grace is God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's grace. What an amazing thing the grace of God is. Grace is God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is God giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. Let me illustrate that with a, an Old Testament example. And that was David. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know the story of David in the Old Testament. David was king, and there was a time that Nathan came before David, and he said, let, let me ask you something, David. He said, I, I want you to tell me what to do in this situation. Now, here's a rich man, has many sheep. Who is a poor man, has only one. And the rich man took the only sheep that belonged to the poor man. What should we do to the rich man? Now what David did not understand is that Nathan was talking about him. You see, David had taken the wife of another man. He had that man sent into the thick of the battle in order that that man might be killed. So when he said that this rich man took the only sheep that belonged to the poor man, he was talking about what David had done. Well, David, not thinking about that, said, well, you know, he condemned the, the rich man. And that's when Nathan said, David, you're the man. And that's when David said, well, then, th that I've sinned. And then Nathan said, well, then, David, the Lord has put away your sin. Now, think about it. According to Jewish law, David deserved death. But God gave David what he needed, forgiveness, rather than what he deserved. Friends, that's, that's grace. God's grace is giving us what we need 
rather than what we deserve. I think of an illustration in the New Testament. That's the prodigal son. It's found in the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel. And here was a man who had two sons. And the younger came to his daddy one day and he said, you know, I want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance. I want it now. So the text tells us that he divided unto them his living. It wasn't many days after that that this young boy uh, gathered all together and, and he took his journey into a far country. Can you imagine how sad that dad was on that day that boy left home? But he went off into the far country and there he wasted his inheritance in riotous living. And when he had spent all, he, he was in want, the Bible says, and, and he, he joined himself to a certain citizen of that land. That is, he, he, he went to this man, no doubt asking for help, and he sent him into the field to feed pigs. That wasn't anything that would have been lower job for someone to do than feeding the pigs. And the Bible says that he would even have eaten the husk that the pigs ate. But here's a, here's a turning point in that story about that prodigal son. The Bible says when he came to himself, he said, What servant of my father's house has food enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? He said, This will I do. I'll go to my father, and I'll say, I've, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. And I no longer deserve to be called your son. No, he did not deserve to be called his father's son. Now in that story, the father represents God. The son represents me, you, all of us. You see, at one point or another in our lives, all of us have been in that far country. So the young man is on his way back home, and the father saw him, and he ran. I know a preacher who has a book entitled, Will God Run? And it's based on this story, and the answer is yes, God will run. He ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. So the son started rehearsing the confession that he had started repeating, the confession he had rehearsed in the hog pen. And he said, I, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. Father, I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father forgave him. He restored him as a son in his house. Did the son deserve it? Absolutely not. But the father gave the son what he needed, not what he deserved. That's grace. Now our text that we referred to in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 tells us God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. I'm thinking about another passage in the New Testament that talks about grace. That's in the fifth chapter of Romans verses 20 and 21, where Paul makes the statement that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace is sufficient. You see, grace, the grace of God is sufficient when we sin. And there's not a human being on the face of this earth today that hasn't sinned. 
Because the Scripture says, For all have sinned. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by the grace of God. Now, there are a lot of applications you could make, I suppose, with, with that, that statement. But here's one of them. There's a line drawn. Saved people are on one side of the line. Unsaved people are on the other side of the line. And the reason that there are those that are unsaved is because of sin. Sin has done so much to damage this world, to ruin lives. And the individual who is in that state is actually in a state of condemnation. I read about a husband and wife who had been condemned to death. They are to be hanged because crimes they had committed against society. They sat in their cell. And day after day they could hear the buzz of the saw, the ring of the hammer, as they were preparing the gallows upon which they were to die. They were condemned. God knew and God knows our state. There's no one who's done more about the state and the predicament of humanity than God Almighty. Almost 2,000 years ago, even though we did not deserve it, even though we had not earned it, God sent His Son into this world for a specific purpose. In John 4, 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. Jesus was sent. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Christ there said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus Christ was sent into this world on a mission. He came into this world with a specific purpose. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul explains that purpose. There he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Listen to him now. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's almost as though Paul were saying, if you were to line up all of the sinners in the world, I'd be leading the band. I'd be at the head of all the sinners of the world. But he came into the world to save people like the Apostle Paul, who had been a persecutor of Christians. And God sent Jesus into the world 
to save sinners. The Son of Man came to seek to save that which is lost, according to Luke 19, verse 10. Well, what kind of sinners did He come to save? And I would suggest to you that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of all kinds. For example, He came to save murderers. Someone says, I can't believe, Billy, that you would suggest that, that murderers can be saved. Well, Jesus came to save murderers. I know that we don't like to think that, but in fact, He did. I call your attention to the second chapter of Acts is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it was on this occasion that, that the apostle Peter preached the first recorded gospel sermon under the worldwide commission, that is the commission to go in all the world and preach the gospel. And it was on this occasion that he was preaching to some of the very people who had called out for the death of Jesus. They had said, crucify him, crucify him. They were gathered in the city of Jerusalem from all over the then known world. And in the 23rd verse of that chapter, he said to them, you have by wicked hands crucified and slain. Now that took a lot of courage for Peter to say that to these people. He, in essence, accused them of killing Jesus. But these are some of the same people later on who ask him in that same chapter, what shall we do? And here's the answer he gave to them. You need to repent and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And verse 41 says that day about 3,000 were baptized. That very day. You see, He came to save people who had the blood of Jesus on their hands. But He came to save people today who might be guilty of murder. He came to save people that are just good, moral people. You know the kind of people you like to have as a neighbor? The kind of people that you might enjoy going off on a vacation with? Just good people. Good moral people. Let me tell you about one of the best moral men I think I've ever read about anywhere. And when we read about him in the 10th chapter of Acts, his name was Cornelius. And the Bible says in the 10th chapter of Acts that Cornelius was a leader of a band called the Italian Band. He was a soldier. But let me tell you something about his character. The Bible says he was a man that feared God with all his house. Could, could you say that right now? Could you say, I fear God with all of my house? What a, what a man, good man. It also tells us that Cornelius was a giving man, a very generous man. He gave meaningful gifts to others. He gave much alms to the people. And it tells us that his prayers went up as a memorial before God. Now, someone says, you mean to tell me that a, that a man like that, a man that feared God with all of his house, and a man that's a praying man and a giving man, that, 
that, that, that a man like that can't go to heaven? You, you see, Cornelius was a good man. Now, Peter was preaching to Cornelius. Peter was a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile. And in those days, the Jews and the Gentiles had no dealings one with another. But when Peter got back to Jerusalem in the 11th chapter of Acts, and he began to explain to his Jewish brethren what had happened at the household of Cornelius a Gentile, we're told that he began to rehearse by order, that is, in the order of the events, the things that happened at the house of Cornelius. And he was told that Cornelius was told in verse 14 to call for him, that is to call for Peter, who shall tell you words whereby you and your house shall be saved. Now, if Cornelius was already saved, he didn't need someone to teach him what to do to be saved. He was a good moral man. You can be a good moral person. But friends, you need the blood of Jesus. You need it applied to the sins that you have committed. You see, morality is not enough. But Jesus came to save people like Cornelius. He came to save immoral people. Absolutely. You know, maybe the kind of people that, that you really wouldn't associate with. The kind of people you might would shun. Now, if we were all honest about this, if we really were honest, isn't it the case that sometimes there are people you wouldn't want to have anything to do with? But Jesus came to save people like that. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and verse 9, Paul made this statement. Know ye not that the unrighteous, the unrighteous, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain and simple, isn't it? That, that, that's pretty, that's straightforward. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then in the next passage, in verse 10, he enumerates some of the kinds of things that he has reference to that are referred to as being unrighteous. And there are certain sins of the flesh that he mentions. And these are base sins. And as a matter of fact, they are the kinds of sins that are still being committed today. But then verse 11 says, And such were, that's past tense, isn't it? Such were some of you. In writing to these people in the church at Corinth, he said, I want you to know, there was a time that you were guilty of adultery. You were guilty of fornication. You were guilty of different kinds of affection, men with men and women with women, and the like. But now, things have changed. You're washed, you're justified, and you're sanctified. You see, Jesus came to save people that are in immoral situations. I may be speaking to someone right now who is in that kind of a situation. And I would urge you to think about Jesus like you've never thought about Him before. You give your life to Christ. You serve Jesus. 
Jesus is your Savior, Matthew 1, 21. His parents were told, call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Acts 4 and 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Would you give your life to Christ? God sent his Son to save us. We're not going to be able to earn our salvation, but we obey Him. And when we obey Him, we can be saved. Hebrews 5, verse 8 and verse 9. And Jesus teaches we must believe on Him in John 8, 24. Jesus teaches we must repent of our sins in Luke 13 and verse 3. Jesus teaches we must be willing to confess Him before men in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And Jesus teaches that we're to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, for the purpose of being saved, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. And, and you're saved by God's grace, saved by His grace. Oh, that I wish there was a way that I could explain in such a fashion that all people everywhere would understand that it takes the grace of God to save us. But you have to apply and appropriate that grace by being an obedient, submissive believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for watching today. And I want to give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And, and, and right now, let me urge you, without any hesitation on your part, to pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible correspondence course. It could be the single greatest decision you've ever made in your life to call for that Bible course. I wish I had the time to tell you about people that have explained that to me for themselves, that it's the best thing they ever did. If you'd rather take it online, you can do that as well. But I want to thank you for watching today, and I want to urge you to tell someone else about getting to know your Bible. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible. 
P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1 877 5214. Join us next time for getting to know your Bible.